listening to SOJC Radio, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching the doctrine of Christ to the whole world. Good evening and welcome to Friday night SOJC Remnant Cast. Grab your Bible and your pens and your paper, and when two or three are gathered in His name, the Lord is right here with us. So thank you for joining us, and here's Brother David. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the February 2nd, 2024 edition of the FOJC Remnant Gathering. I am David Carrico, and I am thrilled and honored that you're joining us for our broadcast this evening. Our lesson for this evening is entitled, When God Hates Your Prayers. As always, I tell you what, it's hopping and popping here at Ground Zero, and uh, it is just such a blessing. Uh, we have the first installment of our hardware and our office upgrade is in and installed and I'm we're just so thrilled about it and um, I want to acknowledge um, some of the letters that came in this week and I'll give again uh, my address I'm really enjoying these letters if you want to write to me and Donna at followers of Jesus Christ Post Office Box 671, Tell City, Indiana, 47586. And this week we heard uh, Jared in Michigan and Kenneth in Georgia. And Kenneth wrote, uh, let's see, Kenneth said, um, You really run the ministry very well, but I also know you have a very good crew. Not really sure how you do it, but you are busier than a one-armed wallpaper hanger. Well, Kenneth, I don't know how we do it either, but thank you so much for saying that. And we really do work at it, and we really do have a good crew that works to make it all happen. And that's what we say. It's, It's the message that matters, and it's a team here. It's a team, and and that's what it takes. It's the body. It's the body of Christ coming together, and when that happens, good things are going to happen. Pamela in Pennsylvania, a nice letter. David in Las Vegas, a nice letter from David. Uh, Christine in Indiana. Uh, Susan from Boston. And Belkus in Massachusetts, close to Boston. I, I guess it's it's old Bill Connell getting them shook up up in there. We're getting a lot of response from uh, the Boston area in Massachusetts. Uh, Joseph in Florida wrote, uh, Please pray for my daughter and granddaughter and family. And let's do that right now. Uh, Father, we just want to lift up the daughter and granddaughter of Joseph in Florida. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray that you meet the needs there and that you just draw them close father and just supply everything that is lacking there in the mighty name of jesus we pray and we agree amen and amen um also heard from robert in alabama vicky from oklahoma and from gail in canada and uh ellen in south dakota wrote wanting prayer for her husband said he's a retired farmer suffering from severe back pain in parkinson well we know what that's like donna is uh constantly uh praying and dealing with that 
So let's just lift Ellen's husband up right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray that you you touch Ellen's husband right now. Father, in Jesus' name, just let your healing anointing be upon that back and upon that Parkinson's. And we're just going to agree together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'll read just a little snippet from Ellen's letter. It says, uh, David and Donna, I want to thank you for your wonderful ministry. I found it on YouTube in the last month or so, and so many people are. As we said, our subs are really up, and Ellen here is an example of one of those. It says, I've been blessed by all the wonderful teaching. I grew up in the Assembly of God Church and have been taught the rapture doctrine for many years. About five years ago, I began to question the truth of it because so many Christians live in blatant sin and unforgiveness. I knew this was unacceptable to God. Uh, I feel like your teaching has helped me to come to terms with it all. And it says, thank you. I also very much enjoy the midnight ride. So thank you so much for that, Ellen. And, all you know, so many really, really great letters are coming in, and it's such a blessing. And uh, we just really appreciate it. It's an encouragement to us, and we love hearing from you. And Sister and Donna and I really do receive a blessing from it. And speaking of Sister Donna, she is going to uh, pray for our weekly, other weekly prayer requests that have come in. So, Donna, you want to pray for some more requests? Yes, and I would like to say I tried to get all of the prayer-thon requests on. I missed a couple, but I think I've contacted everybody. And we will save your prayer request uh for next month uh, this month actually (laughs) it's going by so fast well anyway uh, I had a call from um, uh, Star her dad had a stroke and he has a glass eye in one eye but when he had the stroke it blinded him in his good eye so please uh, pray for restoration there on his eye Um, and uh, Kathy needs traveling mercies she's traveling to her new home in Kentucky on Sunday Cynthia is asking for healing for Lindsay for pancreatic problems. Annie's asking for healing for her friend Anne Marie. And Cecil, he still needs a touch from the Lord. Uh, and Daniel, he needs knowledge and wisdom. And as he's going to be Bible, uh, doing some Bible reading, and his family wants him to wake up and, and uh, get the truth out of God's Word. And I ask uh, that you please continue to pray for me. My back is better, but I still have a lot of issues. But I'm still trusting God for healing and wisdom. And listen, uh, we do need to pray for Now You See TV and FOJC for uh, protection and wisdom and all the other things we need that the God, God always supplies, but doesn't hurt to ask. And I actually wanted to publicly thank uh, Brett and Diane for helping us to get the shelves outside in our shed. And for Brian for installing part of our new computer equipment. And we still need wisdom, and we still need... uh, And for Jason working on the wheelchair this week. (laughs) Yes, I'm working there. Jason, I was actually last week... We have a lot of of good help around here. regular wheelchair and... So we appreciate all the help, and I had a couple other of our uh, listeners that came and helped bail out my home. And I do want to uh, remember, too, um, 
I want to remember Teresa. She's my new helper. I don't know if she's listening tonight, but I just want to send blessings her way and uh, pray for her eyes to be opened as well. So I'm just going to pray over all these at once here. Thank you so much. Uh, I try to catch them all, but forgive me when I don't get it done. Like David says, we have a lot, lot going on here. So, Abba Father, we just come to you right now, Lord, and I just ask you to remember all those people we've mentioned and all the needs, Lord, and also the ones I forgot. And, Lord, we used to do this all the time, and we kind of stopped doing it, but I think we need to keep doing it. We need to pray for all of our unsaved family and friends. And so, Lord, I'm asked that you touch all of them and wake them up, Lord. Help them to realize the signs of the times that we're living in. And, Father, I do ask that you touch each one of our listeners so that they will be bold and yet accurate in what they say that God's Word says. Give them strength to carry on, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for all these people that have entrusted us with their prayers. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, worship the Lord for just a few moments, and then we're going to be back with our message for this evening, When God Hates Your Prayers. We're sorry, but because of copyright rules, you cannot hear my music. However, if you want to hear the message in its entirety with my music, you can join us on the radio page on Friday nights for the live audio broadcast at 6 p.m. Central Time, or you can listen on our podcast page at fojcradio.com. Here's Brother David. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 80 and the fourth verse. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? And what a thought it is that the people of God could come before our Lord in prayer and it would actually make him mad. What an unbelievable thought. But this is exactly what the scripture text tells us that there's a situation and an attitude in prayer that people can take that actually makes God mad. And he is here in this text called the Lord of hosts. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? I want to read a statement on this text by Thomas Adams. And Thomas Adams was one of the early Puritans, like William Perkins and Richard Sibbs. He had a big influence upon John Bunyan. And Brother Adams said this about this text. He said, If war in itself were unlawful, God would never have accepted this title, the Lord of hosts. Yet in this style he takes such delight that he is oftener called the God of hosts in the former testament than any other title. In those 200 prophecies 
of Isaiah and Jeremiah, it is given to him no less than 130 times. The Lord of hosts, the commander of the angelic army in the heavens. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 15 and verse 3, the scripture tells us, Exodus 15 and 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And in that beautiful passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the third chapter in the eighth verse, there is a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And indeed, there's there's a time when you have to stand up and you have to fight. Now, in our day and time, most of the wars that are fought and have been fought in recent times, they are nothing but the geopolitical strategy of the globalists sending out uh, the poor man's son to fight the rich man's war. This is basically what it is. But there is such a thing as a just war. We read of that war, wars in the Bible that were of God and blessed. And we have to understand that there's a constant war. The war, the Lord is a man of war. He's the God of hosts. And he is at war with the kingdom of evil. And you can come to such a place where you so misunderstand what God is really like that when you get down on your knees and pray that you'll actually make God mad because you're not moving with him at all. He's got a program. He is moving. He's the Lord of hosts. He is captain of the angelic armies. He is moving. And what is he at war with? He's at war with sin. If it wasn't for sin, God would not be roused to anger. And when Jesus came, you know, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And in First John, the third chapter, in the eighth verse, he said, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Now that lays it out pretty plain, doesn't it? He that committeth sin is of the devil. You see people living in habitual sin, they're of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is at war with the works of the devil. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And we need to understand what he is like. Because we were we were talking in our last Friday night, we're either with him or against him. You know, and a lot of people they're they're praying to the Lord of hosts, but they have no idea what he's really like or what he is really all about. In the book of Ezekiel, the sixteenth chapter, and the forty second verse, I want to read uh, a text for you there. And I want to read a text from um, John Gill, something that he said in his book of doctrine. It's called The Body of Divinity. And Brother Gill wrote this. He said, There are some sins, more especially, which provoke him to anger, as the sins against the first table of the law, particularly idolatry, which of all sins is the most provoking to him. Nothing provokes our Lord as much as 
idolatry does. In Ezekiel chapter 16 and the 42nd verse, So will I make my fury toward thee to rest, and my jealousy shall depart from thee. I will be quiet and will be no more angry. God is a jealous God. He gets angry when people mix the things of paganism with the things of God. When they think they can sanctify paganism and make it a part of his worship, it makes him mad. And indeed, and rightly so. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the 32nd chapter, and in the 16th verse, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods with abominations provoke they him to anger strange gods and they provoked him strange fire was mixed in with the worship of God people are very very uh, walking a very very dangerous path when they try to sanctify paganism and pass it off as the worship of God, this is provoking God. It's like it's like you're just trying to stick your finger in his eye and make him mad. And so many people they they don't they have no idea that the Lord of hosts is angry with them because they have no real the the attributes of God are so little taught and so little understand that they do not have that basic understanding and that doctrinal stability to really know what what God is like in the 21st verse of the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. People are mixing in things that God has nothing to do with. And this is provoking God. And provoking God is not what you want to do. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. The provocation of God was answered on his part by the judgment of a foreign nation that came down upon them. In Acts, the 17th chapter and the 16th verse, when Paul went into Athens, the the scripture records his reaction to what he saw there. In Acts, the 17th chapter and the 16th verse, It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. The comment of John Trapp, the Puritan, on this is worth reading. And it says, The word signifies he was almost beside himself. Such was his zeal to see the idolatry of the Athenians. And what it means, it just didn't bother him a little bit. It bothered him a lot. And I know I've been in situations where there were things that were just so bad that, that I, you know, you just can't keep your mouth shut sometimes. You just got to speak out and rebuke and call it out when it needs to be called out. And he gives a very, very interesting example here I'm going to read and you know what troubles me with this you know there's nothing 
that provokes the Lord to anger more than jealousy and uh, uh, than idolatry. It provokes him to jealousy. And if you would take out for a long time, I have said the main conduits of idolatry into the modern church system is number one, Freemasonry, and number two, the pagan holidays. And, you know, the amazing thing is this doesn't bother the people that are attending these assemblies. If the Spirit of God is within you, His first name is Holy. And holy means to be set apart. And to be set apart means you're set apart to God, not the mingling in of the paganism, which is the thing that he hates the very most. John Trapp goes on to give an example of a guy that just had to speak up. He says, uh, so was William Gardner, an English merchant and martyr in Portugal, who when the cardinal in a mass before the king began to take the ceremonial host to toss it to and fro around about the chalice, making certain circles and semicircles, he not being able to suffer any longer went to the cardinal and in the presence of the king and all his nobles and citizens with the one hand he snatched the cake from the priest and trod it under his feet and with the other hand over through the chalice. Well, God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. And uh, he is now in heaven, and uh, he died a martyr. I don't know if he was killed for that or not. He doesn't say. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to say something. Sometimes you just got to stand up and tell it like it is and rebuke and call things out. And, uh, my goodness, uh, today... The, uh, you know, my, it just, mercy. People in these churches, they will not get mad or upset one bit. You could get all kinds of paganism, all kinds of false doctrine. It doesn't ruffle them a bit. But you just start to call them out on their Freemasons, their Easter eggs, and their Christmas trees. Then you'll see them mad. Now, they'll fight for that. They will not fight for the holiness and purity of God, but they will fight to maintain their paganism. And this is one of the main reasons that we are persecuted, and that's fine. You know, we are so thankful and we're honored to bear persecution for Christ whenever it will come. And in John chapter 2, this is what killed Jesus. In John chapter 2 and verse 16, And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Get them out of here. And I tell you what, it's time for a few people to stand up and cleanse these temples and say, get this garbage out of here. And in verse 17, it says, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Jesus was driven for the zeal and the purity of the worship of God. He could not do but that which his father told him to do and he cleansed the temple he overthrew the tables of the money changers and we have to go and we have to do likewise and there is a time there is a time when people so lose sight of the Lord of hosts that that sinless savior that is manifested to destroy the works of darkness 
that when we pray to him, he act, we actually make him mad. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. America is absolutely joined to their idols. I hold out, of course, anything's possible, but I tell you what, I I believe that America is beyond the point of return. I think that judgment is going to fall. It's not maybe it will. It's just a matter of how long before all-out judgment falls on our nation, the absolute economic collapse of our nation uh, could just be very, very imminent, as all of you know. And there are just so many things that uh, the judgment of God is going to be upon this land, and it will be well-deserved. And it says in this text, Ephraim is joined to idols. There were the calves set up in Dan and Bethel. Now, can you imagine a time, and let's say the Republicans win the next election, can you imagine them saying, all right, all the log cabin Republicans, we want to get them out of the Republican Party. Oh, yeah, and by the way, that biggest phallic symbol in the world there in Washington, D.C., we're going to take that down. And oh, yeah, by the way, that goddess in the harbor there in New York City, uh, you know, that's, that's pagan. We're going to take it down. I tell you what, they love it. They are proud of that huge phallic symbol. They're proud of that goddess in the harbor. They're proud. They're all about it. They are joined to it. They are joined to it. And the fact that they are joined to it shows us the certain judgment that is going to be upon them. We're at the place where a lot of people, when they start praying for God to bless America, you're going to make him mad because you need to start praying for America to repent so that God can bless it. In page 95, John Gill, in his book of doctrine called The Body of Divinity, he talks a little bit about the anger and the wrath of God. And he talks about the the attributes of God. And everybody knows God is love. Thank God he is. God is absolutely love. But God is also holy. And because God is holy, God hates sin. And he has a natural anger and a hatred of sin because he's holy. The love of God and the anger of God against sin are not contradictory one to another. Brother Gill writes, The anger and wrath of God are often used promiscuously in Scripture to signify the same thing, and yet sometimes they seem to be distinct. Anger is a lower and lesser degree of wrath. The Hebrew word which signifies to burn and the anger of God is compared to fire in scripture and is often said to be kindled. But then we are not to imagine when it is said that God to be angry that there is any commotion or perturbation in God's mind or that he is ruffled or discomposed and much less is this to be considered as a criminal passion in him as it often is in men but in God it is pure and it is holy let's look at a scripture in the prophet Habakkuk 
chapter 1 and verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? And God is so holy that he can do nothing else but to be angry at sin. And I never will forget when I saw Joel Osteen preaching in Yankee Stadium, and he began his sermon by saying, I don't want God to think, I don't want anyone to think that God is angry with anyone here. Well, in uh, Psalm chapter 7 and verse 11, it says, God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day, God is angry at the wicked. God is angry right now at America. God is mad at America, and God is mad at many believers who have lost sight and lost understanding of who the Lord of hosts is, what his son came to do, his son Jesus Christ that came to destroy the works of evil. That is the reason that Jesus was manifest. And there is a righteous indignation. You know, there's some people, I think there's times it's a sin not to get angry. There's things that are going on that if they don't make you a little bit angry, I think there's something wrong with you. But there's also an anger that is unrighteous. The Bible tells us that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It is very possible for us to have righteous indignation against sin, even to the point of anger, and yet not to sin. Now, I want to show you in the Bible where Jesus got angry. And Jesus got angry with the Pharisees. And this gives me great hope because I get angry with the Pharisees too. Yes, I do. In uh, Mark, the third chapter and the fifth verse, And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees were attacking Jesus, calling him a Sabbath breaker, when the truth was they were the Sabbath breakers. And they wanted to put their man-made laws upon Christ and call the sinless Son of God a Sabbath breaker. And this is something, and I'll give us our apostate Bible slam of the week. Now, I'm going to show you what these people are doing out there. And this this does make me angry. Yes, it does. It makes me angry. And um, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22, and I want to read it in the King James. And in the fifth chapter of Matthew, the 22nd verse, in the King James Bible, the real one, it says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be danger of the judgment now I want to read it to you out of the English Standard Version the NIV and almost all of them read the same 
Now, listen and tell me what changed. In Matthew 5 and 22, he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. And you see, without a cause, it's taken out. So what these and I guarantee they are, I know them, and I, I know how they're working. They're teaching that Jesus Christ is not full God, that he was a man, that he was a sinner. There's people out there teaching Jesus is a created being, and a lot of these people have been attacking me and John here lately. Well, oh boy. Now, what they do, they go to Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, and they say, looky there, Jesus got angry. And then they go to Matthew 5, 22, and their apostate Bibles and say, see, he got angry. He's a sinner. Jesus was just a man. This is just exactly what they're doing. So am I going to make a point out of these apostate Bibles? You bet I will, because people are using these apostate Bibles to attack my Lord, and that makes me angry and I'll speak out and I'll call them out and I'll rebuke them in Jesus name because this is dragging people's souls to hell in John the 8th chapter and the 24th verse and as I say and I'm sure a lot of you are aware of this uh, there have been some people that are attacking uh, John and I this week and uh, one of the core beliefs of the group is that Jesus uh, is a created being. And uh, another one of their beliefs is that Jesus is in heaven doing animal sacrifices. Okay. And John chapter 8 and verse 24. And here's a sad thing, you know. And, and you, 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 bru- you rebuke the doctor and say, oh, oh, we're getting slandered. Not, it, it's not about personalities. It's not about. Uh, you know, God will judge people's hearts, but we got to judge the doctrine. We got to judge the doctrine. And in John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, I said, therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now let's look just exactly what that means. And the I am he, the I am and the I am he, this is a specific reference to the Old Testament, and we'll read what the I am he is. And Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. And in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 4, who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. The I am he is the creator. Jesus is the creator, not the created. In the Gospel of John, it says, All things were created by him, as Paul also reiterated in the epistle to the Colossians. In Isaiah chapter 43, in Isaiah chapter 43 and the 10th verse, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. We need to understand the I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. 
No God was formed before the I am key. No God formed afterwards. Jesus is the creator, not the created. And when someone says, who's Jesus? And they answer, a created being, eh, wrong answer. And the sad thing, it isn't about personalities. It's not about, it's about souls. Because Jesus, the real Jesus, clearly said that if you not do not believe that he is the sinless, virgin-born Savior, the Messiah of the Israel of God, you are going to die in your sins. And this is it. Do we understand who Jesus is? Do we understand that his Father is the Lord of hosts, that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the evil one? Last week we were talking about earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered. That means to fight for it. Well, I'm willing to fight for it because the souls of men and women hang in the balance, and if somebody doesn't stand up and speak out and fight for souls, the parade to hell is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. I do not want blood upon my hands, and I will not be silent. Clear as day. I could go on and on. Isaiah 43 and 25. I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Jesus is the I am he and as one of the evidence of his deity in the gospels was that he had power to forgive sins. Let's get the context of this. Let's get the context of it in the 8th chapter of John. John, the 8th chapter. John, the 8th chapter in the 21st verse. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, You're from beneath, I am from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And just exactly what does that mean? That means you're going to hell. You're going to a devil's hell. This is why this is so important. This is why this is so important. If you do not believe that Jesus is the I am he, you're going to die in your sins and you're going to go to hell. That's why we must not be silent. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, and you don't say, Well, brother, can't we agree to disagree? Now, sir, let me correct you on one thing. You're not my brother. When you say Jesus is a created being, you are not my brother. And don't anyone think for a minute I would call anyone my brother that would teach such a heinous blasphemous doctrine. In John, John Gill made his comment on John 8 and 24. For if ye believe not that I am he, 
the everlasting and unchangeable I am, the true God overall, blessed forever, the eternal Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, really made flesh, and become incarnate, the true Messiah, the only Savior of sinners, the one and only mediator between God and man, the head of the church, prophet, priest, and king, and the judge of the quick and the dead, as also the light of the world, he hath declared himself to be. These are things that are necessary to be believed about Christ. And believe them we do. And around here, we lift up Jesus. It's Jesus, the sinless Savior. It's the cross, the doctrine, the example of God. Every word he said was true. Everything he did was right. He is the creator and Lord of all. And we will lift him up that everyone might see his beauty and be drawn unto him. I want to read a few comments from the pulpit commentary here on the 8th chapter of John. And the pulpit commentary said this. The ground of this utter annihilation is the lack of belief which will leave them in their sins to die. Our Lord especially charges home upon these earthbound souls, on these purely human, selfish, unspiritual, unrenewed, unbelieving men, this antagonism to himself, this refusal to walk in the light or to receive his life. The reason why they have not seen the kingdom or the king is that they are not born of the Spirit. Let them believe him to be that which he really is, is the separation, let, excuse me, let them believe him to be that which he really is. The separation would then cease, and like himself, they too might be called out of the world. When Jesus taught, and he said things about himself, when we refuse to believe what Jesus said about himself, you can't just fill in the blanks by yourself. You just can't make up what you can say, I believe in Jesus. And you just can't fill in the blanks. If he is not the virgin-born, sinless Savior of the, of the world, the creator of all things, that's the wrong answer. We have to believe in the deity of Christ, that he was indeed God in the flesh, praise God. And anyone that does not believe that, in John, the third chapter, and the 36th verse, the scripture tells us this. In John chapter 3, and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And this is why we must preach, and this is why we must call people to repentance, that they must believe what Jesus said about himself. Well, we're going to take a break, and I've got a few things more to say, as you might, you might imagine, but we're going to be right back in just a moment on the FOJC Remnant Gathering. This is entitled Wolves, written on November the 5th, 2022, Sabbath morning, 647 a.m. 
Wolves in sheepskin, they are plenty. Standing at their pulpits, spewing lies, half-truths, and apostasy. Smooth things they cry, itching ears they find. No conviction of souls, no bended knee. Just put your money in the plate before thee. Eyes to see, ears to hear is what you need. The word spoken, the light of the world for you and me. Faith, obedience, and humility. Come to the Father and be truly free. Don't wait a second longer. Hear him now. Time is short, you see. Come out of her, my people. FOJC Radio Remnant family, Sister Donna here. I just want to thank all of you for your support and your love and kindness. Just wanted to let you know that here at FOJC Radio, we want to reach the world for Jesus. I know you know this verse. You've said it as a child probably many times. But as a reminder, in John 3, Verses 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In order to do this, we have chosen to use many different avenues. We have our regular Friday night message with Brother David. And then we have our Sunday night live. And we have different people on it. Sometimes we're on Rumble and sometimes we're on YouTube. You just never know who we might have on there. But I just wanted to remind you all and thank you for your support and give us a listen. On Sunday Night Live, these programs usually start at 8 p.m. Central Time. You never know what we might be doing. We're full of all kinds of surprises. We want to reach the world for Jesus. Now back to tonight's message with Brother David Carrico on FOJC Radio. Welcome back to the FOJC Remnant Gathering. And as I always do at the break, I want to sincerely thank each and every one of you that studies with us and that prays for us and that supports us with your gifts and with your kindness. We do appreciate it from the very bottom of our heart. Uh, a lot going on every week here at FOJC. Um, we'll hope be uploading this next week. We have some more uh, boot camp from Brother Brett. We got a Psalm 119 teaching with Brett and I. Uh, we have a uh, the testimony of Sam Garcia that we want to get up next week. Just a lot of stuff going on, and um, we're just so thankful for the way the Lord is enabling us to take forth His Word. Pray for us as we hold up that blood-stained banner. 
uh, and I, I might say this Sunday night on Sunday Night Live, it'll be Back to the Future Decoded, and it's going to be frosty. We run, uh, we did that on Rumble several months ago, and we're going to bring that over and run it on YouTube, and think you might like it. Think you might like it. All right. Well, let's get back into the Word. And I want to read from the Gospel of John again in the 8th chapter and the 17th and 18th verse. And a lot of the folks that teach, and about all of them that teach Jesus as a created being, uh, they all have another doctrine they teach. They attack the doctrine of the Godhead or the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity. And I used to, and I believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I used to, you know, I say, well, the word Trinity ain't in the Bible, so I'll just use the word Godhead, the apostanos, which is the biblical word for it. But anymore, the way, uh, you know, these people, they attack the Trinitarians. I want everyone to know, yeah, I'm a Trinitarian. I want everyone to know I'm not them. You know, make sure there's a big divide between me and them. And basically... In the history of this doctrine, uh, the people that deny the teaching of the Godhead, one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, this began with Arius, the, the, early, the early, early heretic Arius. It is taught by the Jehovah Witnesses. It is also taught by the United Pentecostals, uh, the UPC Pentecostals, and they say that um, if you don't deny the Godhead and are not baptized the way they say and speak in tongues, that you're going to hell. All right. And uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, the UPC Pentecostals, old Arius, and now the people that are the most zealous for it are the people in the sacred name and the Hebrew roots. Now, they're the ones that are really picking the ball up and trying to make hay out of this. Now, who believes like I do? The early Church of the Martyrs, the Puritans, Wesley, Spurgeon, Finney, every man of God that ever stood up and preached and taught the truth. This has been an absolute fundamental of the faith. And always, the, this is what distinguishes, and you see, we're talking about the true God. Are we worshiping the Lord of hosts, or are we worshiping something else? Do we understand what God is really like? Or are we praying in some kind of a fantasy land that's making God mad instead of moving the Lord of hosts to be on our part? So I want to make it clear where we stand, and I always uh, will say you might not like what I say, but I want you to understand what I'm saying, and I want to make that just as clear as I can ever make anything, that they, and you see, these people, by teaching what they do, they place themselves beyond the veil of Christianity. They are not within the, the body. They are not, and one of the big differences uh, let's just say the Mormon church, for example. And I choke on the word church. But the Mormons believe that all Christianity is apostate and, because, and always has been, and that they are the ones with all the truth. Well, at FOJC, and I think I can, well, I know I can speak for John also, now you see TV, what we believe is found within 
the confines of the historic Christian faith. What was taught by the early Church of the Martyrs, the Puritans, on and on and on, we believe nothing that is outside the bounds of Orthodox Christianity. Now, I want to read some scriptures. And the thing, the the people that attack people that believe in the Godhead, they use the very same arguments that were leveled against the first century believers by the synagogue. When the synagogue persecuted the early believers under the death, the very arguments they used are picked up and are used by these groups to persecute the believers in the Israel of God. And one of the things they say over and over is that these people worship three gods. And they know very well that that is not the truth. But that does not stop them from doing what they do. Now, when the in John, let me read John 17. Let's go to the 17th chapter of John. And let's read the 20th and the 21st verses. It says here, and this is so easy, you just have to slow down for a minute and, and look. And Jesus says here, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. Now, I wonder if Jesus meant, and of course this is just crazy time, that we are all to be one person. We're not to be one singular person, but we are to be a compound unity in faith and purpose, that they all might be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. There's a relationship there. Me and you, we are to be one, as Jesus and the Father is. Not one person, but one in unity, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Very clear. Very clear. And in John chapter 8, and what makes the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost one is that the divine essence that is God is within the Father, within the Son, within the Holy Ghost, making them one God. But yet, In John chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, listen to what Jesus said. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Two men, the Father and the Son, two men, and say, oh no, it's not two men, it's one man, you see. And this doctrine so pulls the word of God inside out it so sullies it you see there's only one God out there and the word of God is very plain that the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost are all God yet they are distinct and they are one because that divine essence lives within them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 this is true in the Old New Testament. It's true also in the Old. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, in the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That Hebrew word is ikad. And they will try to say that that means, oh, they're just one person. There's not more than one person. 
But let's look, and I could give you a half a dozen scriptures here. I'll give you one of how the Hebrew word ikad is used right there in the book of Genesis multiple times and all through scripture as a compound unity. Let's go to the story of the Tower of Babel. And let's go to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And of course, it would be insane to try to say that all of these people at Babel were just one person, but they were a compound unity, meaning that the haters of God had come together to establish the new world order. Yes, that is true. So all over. Uh, there's there's a list of scriptures I could give you. Ikad in the Hebrew is used many, many times of a compound unity. Now let's go to a scripture in the prophet Isaiah for anybody that wants to believe what the scripture says. This pretty much says it. Let's go. You can even see the three persons in the Godhead in the Old uh, I could do an hour just on the three persons of the Godhead in the Old Testament scriptures. But let me just give you one here. And the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, we want to turn to the 48th chapter. Isaiah chapter 48. And let's look at verse 16. And we can see all three Persons of the Godhead here in one verse in the Old Testament text. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 16. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was. There am I, and now the Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me. The, the pre-incarnate Messiah, Jesus Christ, is there speaking of being sent out by the Father and the Holy Ghost. There we go. I'll give you, and there's so many, I'll give you one in the new, you know, and this is one that, uh, I, I tell you what, you have to get your twister wrench, and always the clear, plain meaning of the Scripture that's where you're going to find the truth. When you have to twist and do all kinds of gymnastics, you're not going to come to the truth that way. But let's look at Revelation chapter 5, and let's look at verse 6 and 7. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. All right. So here we have the lamb going up and taking the book out of the hand of the father on the throne. All right. I tell you what, it's a shame the extents that people go to twist the word of God to try to make it fit with their doctrine. And I say the people that have believed this have just been the absolute groups that have been totally jacked up in the past and in the present. In Luke the 8th chapter, there's the old saying, there's no atheist in foxholes. And I tell you what, fear 
can even make the devil pray. In Luke, the 8th chapter, in the 28th verse, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. (coughs) Even the devils cry out in prayer when they realize that it's time for them to be cast in to a devil's hell. In the prophet Ezekiel, in the 8th chapter and the 18th verse, Therefore will I also deal in fury, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, and though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Idolatry and denigration of Jesus will absolutely make God angry not only with you but with the prayers that you lift up to come in Psalm the 66th chapter Psalm 66 in the 18th verse if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear me I was touched by that letter by the lady I wrote read part of it and she said that what caused her to question the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine was the lives that the people were living that taught it. You know, we cannot regard iniquity in our heart. We have to come back to the Word of God, holiness, and the separated life. And if we have the Holy Ghost within us, we should not be trying to see how much idolatry we can mingle in our lives, but we should be concerned with how much of it we can get out. We're going to close with the book of Proverbs, a text in chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. There's a time when God will be angry at your prayer, and there's a time when God is just going to disregard it and not answer at all. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? They're seeking the wrong God. And they're seeking God on their terms and not His. We have to approach God with a humble, contrite, repentant heart. In verse 29, For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we must fear and tremble at His word. And we must honor His word. with our whole heart and I know that you all know that well with that we're going to close out our message for this evening as always with great thanks to all of you from Sister Donna and myself and it's just an exciting time I tell you what the old FOJC train is rolling down the tracks and I guarantee the sparks are flying but that's all right. Uh, Jesus said I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And I tell you what, uh, there's more people jumping on the train 
the farther we get down the track. So we're just very, very thankful. Tomorrow night, I will be with John on the Midnight Ride, be doing a little teaching on the Rex Day's Bloodline. Uh, Sunday Night Live, uh, Back to the Future Decoded next week. Got a lot of stuff coming out, new boot camp. Psalm 119, Sam Garcia's testimony. And who knows what else. We've just got so much stuff that uh, we're trying to do all we can to reach as many as we can with the good news about Jesus before it's eternally too late. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you once again for this opportunity to be able to preach your word. Father, we just ask you to just pour your blessings out upon all of those. Father, just bless our chat people in Jesus' name and all that listen. Father, just let us draw close to you. Let us stand without fear. If God be for us, who can be against us? Father, we just love you. We love you with all of our heart. And we just give you the praise for anything good that happens because we know it's not because of our great ability or anything like that. It's just the blessing of your spirit. So we just want to say, Father, that you just take this message, open the hearts of the people that it might be received. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and agree. Amen and amen. God bless you all. And we'll see you next Friday night, 6 p.m. Central, on the FOJC Remnant Gathering. Thank you for listening and joining in fellowship with us here at FOJC Radio Remnant Gathering. You can contact us at FOJC Post Office Box 671 Tell City, Indiana, 47586. Or you can email us at lastdayschurch at cs.com. Or you may call us at 812-836-2288. You can check out our website at www.fojcradio.com. Thanks and God bless.